What is up? What is up? What is up? Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. I'm your host, Mitch Davis. You can follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. Like the Facebook page at the Mitch Davis Show, or also you can shoot us an email at the Mitch Davis Show. Thursday, January twenty third podcast edition brought to you by S.Y. Wilson on the historic Arlington Depot Square. We have a very, very special edition of the podcast today. College basketball analyst for ESPN, a man that needs no introduction, Mr. Jay Billis, will be joining the podcast today to talk all things college basketball. We talked about the Insta We talked about Cole Anthony. It was such a very, very fun podcast that I hope you and yours enjoy immensely like I did myself. I'm your host, Mitch Davis. Follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. Find all my work at NoahHallSports.com or also TigerSportsReport.com. Follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. Want to thank our sponsors at S.Y. Wilson on the historic Arlington Depot Square in the historic Arlington, Tennessee. Be sure you go check them out. They've got all your collegiate apparel. They've got everything that you could possibly ever want. They're at S.Y. Wilson. They've got bait and tackle. Literally everything you want, you can find it at S.Y. Wilson, the historic Arlington, Tennessee Depot Square. I'm your host, Mitch Davis. I want to thank Jay Bills for coming on the show today, and I hope each and every one of you enjoys this interview. I want to welcome a man that needs no introduction, Jay Billis from ESPN. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, trying to make sense of this college basketball madness, which leads me into this first question. How would you describe the season so far, and what storylines are you watching the rest of the way? Well, if you can figure it out, let me know, because I certainly can't. Uh, it's been... Uh uh, a topsy-turvy season. Um, we've got some really good teams. I don't think we have any dominant teams, at least not yet. Uh, the best teams are, have proven to be the most consistent uh, rather than the most dominant. Uh, so I don't think we have any recognized favorites except on a level of consistency that they're showing over time. So I think everybody that steps into the NCAA tournament at the end is going to be vulnerable to if they don't play well, they're going to get beat. And uh, so it's just one of those years. It's a little bit like 2010, 2011, maybe. Uh, and it's one of it's the first time I can remember uh, using the term parody. Like I, I think parody is all, is often misused with people, you know, trying to make sense out of an upset. There are upsets in every sport. A lot of upsets in basketball, especially the college game. Uh, so it's it, it, this year, though. I think there are more teams that are comparable. Than, than in any other year I can remember. What are some things you're expecting the rest of the way in this college basketball season? I know you talked about basically the disparity and the, and the, and the parity amongst college basketball this year, but what are you expecting the most out of the rest of the season? The unexpected. Uh, and I know that sounds a little bit of a cop-out, but uh, I think one of the, the delicious things about this year is we really don't know what's going to happen game to game. And uh, you've got these bizarre results, uh, at least historically. Uh, and it's not just, hey, the, you know, the one-and-done rule and transfers and all that stuff. We've had all that in place for a long time. It's just a, sort of an odd confluence of events uh, that have, have resulted in so many teams and, and a number of traditional blue bloods that are not as good as they've been before and not as powerful. 
uh, and other teams on a relative basis having a greater chance than they've had in years past. The ACC is not as, as good as it's been. The Big Ten is better than it's been. Uh, so you, you've got some, uh, you know, some differences there. But uh, I'm expecting a lot more of, of what we have seen, and that is, uh, I guess the right word is uh, volatility um, and unexpected results. Like, you know, I, I think by now we should probably be expecting the unexpected. But, you know, if you think you can predict this, it's never been particularly predictable, but it's been a heck of a lot more predictable than this. And the unpre- unpredictability is, is kind of fun. You know, at this place in the season, and, and usually we have one or two dominant teams, whether that's the 2012 Kentucky team or uh, 2015 you had Duke, Kentucky. You know, at, at this point in the season, is there a group of teams, maybe four or five teams, that have been more consistent and that you would say, hey, these teams would possibly be a Final Four team, that you would be comfortable saying that uh, about maybe a four or five of these teams? Yeah, I would say Baylor, uh, Gonzaga. Uh, I would put Duke and Louisville uh, among those teams. I think Michigan State uh, is up there. Um, I think you would probably have to, to put San Diego State up there uh, as well because San Diego State's legit. They've got a, uh, a player out right now that uh, uh, that they you know they were hoping to get back, a big guy named Nathan Mensah. Uh, so he, he needs to come back for them to be as good as they can be. Uh, and I think Kansas is up there as well. But none of those teams... Are, are unbeatable uh, for a smaller conference team, a team that can really shoot it, um, really can beat almost every game. Not every game, but almost every game. Uh, and I think, you know, like, look, could Kentucky jump into that group? But yeah, I mean, you could see a bunch of teams jump in there. Um, but I think those teams uh, are, are a little bit separated from a consistency standpoint, not a raw power standpoint. You know, at this point in the season, you look at college basketball as a whole, and I know you study it better than anybody else out there. Is there one or two dominant players maybe out there that could be the difference maker in a team like Baylor or a team like Kentucky to get to the Final Four and possibly win a national championship? Dominant? No. Uh, there's nobody like Zion Williamson last year that, that uh, is like that. I mean, you have players like Marcus Howard and uh, Jordan Wara, uh, you know, Miles Powell, C. Paul, you, you name it. You've got a bunch of really, really talented players that are really good. But you don't have transcendent talents uh, this year in the college game. And that's not necessarily a negative. You know, some years, there's going to be a, a player of the year uh, every year. But that doesn't mean they're of the same talent and ability every year. And you're going to have a national champion every year. But it doesn't mean the national champion is of the same level of ability and, and, uh, and power and talent and all that stuff. Uh, so I think this year we're pro- we're going to have a national champion. We're going to have a final four. But uh, you know, right now it's hard to it's hard to say that that this year's final four will be better or more powerful uh, as against other other years. But you know this year's team doesn't have to beat last year's field. It's it's all relative. So it's going to be really fun, but but no, we don't have a dominant player that's going to you know pull a Danny Manning uh, in this whole thing or a Kemba Walker that I have seen. Um, now maybe somebody emerges, but I haven't seen it yet. When you look at a team, maybe like Memphis, you know, who has been pretty decently okay, you know, had a good season, but last night they get blown out by Tulsa. What do you tell a team like Memphis, like Penny Hardaway's team, to bounce back and to make the NCAA tournament? 
Well, you, you have to move on from it and learn from it. Uh, you know, they got beat by 40, so the game got away from them. But at the end of the day, what difference does it make, whether it's by 15, 20, 25, or 40? It doesn't make a difference. You know, in the NBA, those things happen uh, all the time. I mean, the, the Lakers, who are the, you know, the number one team in the, the Western Conference, got blown out the other night by Boston. They got beat by 39, I think it was, or 30-some, whatever it was. So it happens in every sport. Uh, it certainly, and that sort of speaks to this year. Um, you don't see that very often uh, among top twenty teams getting blown out like that. But it has happened before. Uh, you know, I remember I did a game years ago in two thousand five where Chris Paul uh, was playing for Wake Forest. They were the number one team in the country. They went to Illinois. They got beat by thirty. Um, and, and so it happens. Uh, but the best thing to do is analytically look at the film, uh, determine what it was that uh, that went wrong why there wasn't the uh, preparedness for a fight on the road, uh, you know, why Memphis didn't have the, the edge to be able to compete, and uh, try to fix it and move on. I mean, there's no sense, no sense beating yourself up over it. It's over. That's in the rear repair. Before we get into, you know, some other major storylines, i got to ask you your thoughts on the Kansas and Kansas State brawl. That seems to be a very hot topic, you and yourself and Dick Vitale have shared some very strong commentary. What are your takeaways from that brawl, and what are some things we can improve upon to avoid that down the line? Well, it was uh, it was an ugly situation that escalated from some unnecessary actions by a number of, of different players, and uh, and I think although I think the officials did a really good job, uh, I think the officials could have helped out in that a little bit as well. Uh, it's not mandatory that they did, but I, I would have handled it differently, uh, I hope, where I wanted a whistle on that, that uh, event. Um, first, you know, at the end of a ball game, there's no reason for when the clock's being run out in the last few seconds of a blowout to try to steal the ball. So that was unnecessary. Did it, did it mean that the fight was okay or it justifies actions after? Of course not. Uh, that would be ridiculous. Uh, similarly, with the, the block shot, um, should should the, the the player have been chased down? Uh, Dewan Gordon have been chased down and had a shot blocked? No, that was unnecessary. Um, it was also, but did that lead to the fight? No. Um, then the, the the stare down, like standing over the, the Gordon who had fallen after the block, standing over him in a taunting fashion, that was unnecessary. Did it, did it lead to the fight? No. But it was unnecessary. It shouldn't have happened. And the last part is is the Kansas State players should not have left the bench to confront uh, Silvio DeSosa. Um, that, more directly than anything, led to the fight and started the fight. Um, but there, that's not, uh, that doesn't justify punches being thrown by Kansas players, Kansas State players, other players coming into the fray. None of it's justified. It was all wrong. Um, I can tell you what, what I hope I would have done in that situation if I were an official. And that is when Gordon of Kansas State uh, tried to steal the ball while the clock was being run out, I would have called a foul up and uh, called a personal foul and then just make him inbound the ball, and that would have stopped everything. And, uh, you know, there, there's no reason to, uh, in a blowout, to allow that. Um, you know, that sends a pretty strong message. Just let the clock run out. And, uh, and, it, and it stops all that nonsense. But, you know, look, that is reasonable, um, reasonable lines can differ on that. And I thought the Big 12 and Kansas and Kansas State handled it afterwards just fine. The suspensions were in reason. 
I felt like some of the breathless commentary about Silvio De Sosa should never wear a uniform again was over the top. Um, but you know, hey, if 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 they were run, you know if those people saying that were, were running their own program to suspend their players forever, then go ahead and do it. But uh, I felt like everything was handled uh, in a reasonable fashion. The couple more questions for you. A few more questions here for you. Cole Anthony situation in North Carolina. What are your takes on that? And should he come back to school, or should he just do like James Wiseman did and go pro? That's up to him. Um, you know, it, it, those are all personal decisions. Uh, I believe that he, as soon as he's healthy, he will come back and he will play for North Carolina. But I don't have a problem with uh, with a player that decides to to shut it down or what. Uh, I may do it differently, but uh, but each individual has to do their own thing there. So there are considerations that go beyond this season, and uh, and that's up to uh, to the player, the player's family, and uh, and the team. And anybody beyond that, we can all have our opinions, but but it doesn't matter. Those are the important ones. How would you fix the attendance problem in college basketball? You see it across the board. You know whether that's Kentucky with the Blue Bloods and Kansas and Duke. But you also see it at the bottom level of college basketball. How would you fix the attendance problem in college basketball? Well, I don't know that there's a, it's necessarily a problem. I think you can uh, you, you have to make the games more fan friendly. Um, if the goal is to sell tickets, I mean, you know, some of the the issues that fans have to deal with are uh, are a result of selling the games to tele to television. And the home experience has become so much better than the, uh, you know, sort of the in arena experience. So you just have to make the in arena experience better. And uh, you know, look, going to these games is not easy. It's not easy to get in a park, and it's certainly not easy to get out because a lot of these arenas are on campuses, and it takes forever to get in and out of there. Uh, so I think it's incumbent upon uh, all these different places to make the fan experience as good as they can. But you no, know, it's not just college sports is dealing with that. The NFL, the NBA, everybody's dealing with it. And uh, you know, we've made we've made the broadcast of these games so good that uh, that you know, look, I don't go to football games anymore. I used to go all the time. I don't go anymore because it's uh, it's so much better at home. And uh, but look, everybody's making a ton of money at home. They just want to make money. They want both. And uh, so if you want both, then make the in-game experience better. Where do you see college basketball as a whole in, you know, let's say five years, short term, and I've got one more question after that for you. You know, college basketball, the pay-to-play thing with the, I know how you feel about the NCAA, but where do you see college basketball as a whole in five years? Uh, We'll be one step uh, closer to uh, athletes being paid uh, for their services, just like everybody else is allowed to be paid for their services, including every other non-athlete student. Uh, you know, this is a professional enterprise. It is indistinguishable from the NFL or the NBA uh, with the way it's marketed, the way tickets are sold, uh, television deals, apparel deals, all of it, you name it. The way coaches are paid, staff, uh, indistinguishable. The way they travel, can't distinguish from it. The only difference between college sports and pro sports uh, the NBA and the NFL, is the, the college players are enrolled in school. They're full-time students. That's the only difference. So uh, I, you know, I think with all that's going on with name, image, and likeness, all different legislation around the country, um, it's inevitable that players are going to be allowed compensation. Uh, and, and once they're allowed name, image, and likeness, they'll be allowed pay. They won't be able to stop it. So whether it's five years,
everybody will consume it exactly the same way they do now. And those that are saying they'll turn away from it won't. Uh, and they'll, they'll be right there. Uh, and the game will actually be a lot better in a lot of different ways. And it'll certainly w- will remove all this fake scandal that we've had because it won't be against the rules anymore for money to be exchanged. So then it'll be, uh, be a lot easier to, uh, to consume the product. Last question I have for you. It's a two-part question. What is one thing that Coach K taught you in your playing days that you still use today? And also, what is your favorite college basketball memory, maybe working or playing or just being a part of the game? What has been your favorite you know, memory of college basketball? Well, first on Coach K, he's been an incredible, you know, sort of teacher, coach, mentor, friend for me for 40 years now, uh, give or take. I mean, I met him when I was a junior in high school in 1981. So it's been a long, long relationship. Uh, and, you know, the list of lessons I've learned from him and the things I've taken from him is, is too long to sort of detail, but one thing I use every day is this concept called next play, where he would say that all the time, you know, next play. You just sort of, it's a trigger to move on to the next thing, that, you know, whatever happens, positive or negative, move on to the next play. You can't do anything about what just happened. You know, we can sit and analyze it later on, but in the moment, you have to move on to the next play. So I say that to myself a lot. Something happens, I'll just go next play and just sort of move on and uh, not get emotional about things and, and just, uh, you know, if I make a mistake or somebody around me makes a mistake or I get wronged or I wrong somebody, whatever it is, you try to, you try to deal with it and move on, uh, right away. Um, as to, um, a favorite memory, uh, similar answer. There's so many, it's hard to distinguish, but, uh, most of the memories are from when I played my favorites when I played. Uh, just the things that I went through with my teams and, and my teammates and my coaches that, that are, you know, sort of cherished um, memories of my life. And then, you know, as a, as a broadcaster, uh, maybe my favorite game uh, would probably be uh, the 2005 Elite Eight game between Illinois and Arizona that went to overtime. Uh, just a, a, an amazing basketball game that was uh, just a pleasure to watch. But, you know, there's so many of them, it's hard to, it's hard to choose. Mr. Billis, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and hope to have you on uh, really soon. And like I said, uh, off air, you mean a lot to a lot of young journalists out there. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. No, it is my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. It was a pleasure meeting you at Memphis the other night. You have been listening to the Mitch Davis Show. I've been your host, Mitch Davis. I want to thank Jay Billis for coming on the podcast today to talk college basketball and to give an inside scoop into the college basketball landscape. I want to thank our sponsors at S.Y. Wilson on the historic Arlington Depot Square. Be sure you head over to S.Y. Wilson before you head out to your SEC or your Memphis basketball this season. And be sure you go check out all their latest Memphis apparel. They've got it all from uh, bait and tackle. They've got everything that you could possibly want from Yeti coolers to clothing, everything you could ever dream of. They have it there at S.Y. Wilson, the historic Arlington Depot Square. I've been your host, Mitch Davis. You can find me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. Find all of my SEC work and my college basketball work at NoHuddleSports.com and also my Memphis work at TigerSportsReport.com. Again, thank you to Jay Bills for coming on the podcast today. It was a true honor to have him come on the podcast and to talk a little college basketball.